Come, linger, and join the conversation as we sit at the feet of Rabbi Jesus in the upper room. In this week's Upper Room Conversation, the guys continue to discuss koinonia, living life together. Welcome back, everybody, to the Upper Room. This is Brian again here sitting across the table from my counterpart, Giles, welcome back, Giles. Thanks for having me back, Brian. And we spent some time last time defining this term koinonia and really talking about how it was more than fellowship. It was more than friendship. It was It's more than ministry together. It's more than intimacy. It's more than giving and more than generosity and more than you and I have experienced in much of our faith journeys to this point. And a lot of that definition comes out of this early church that we is, is revealed to us in the book of Acts. So I just want to revisit that as we transition now from, we've defined what koinonia is, but we share with our listeners, this isn't easy. You guys know it's not easy. Because we spent a lot of time in the last podcast just defining it. And honestly, Brian and I didn't even get to the point we wanted to in the podcast because koinonia, although it's simple, as I said, it's, it's, it's pretty hard. And it's, I think, even harder for us here in Western culture to understand because it's so foreign. And I can't emphasize enough the point that we made there at the end that it would be our belief that koinonia doesn't happen outside of the movement of the Holy Spirit. Koinonia doesn't happen without King Jesus sitting on the throne of our hearts individually and our hearts collectively. And so as you try to wrap your mind around it, one of the things may be that you're still trying to wrap your mind around it and think about it in those earthly terms, that that if you moved into something like this, you would still be doing it out of your own power. And and maybe, maybe, you know, the first thing that needs to happen is sit down, really dive into, really invite Jesus to sit on that throne and and feel like feel what it means, develop it in your close relationships in your marriage maybe. And then and then let it happen because like you know that that may have been something that was lost in the last picture of it is that all the time leading up to this question, we were going through some pretty intense training ourselves and getting to that place. And I know (laughs) your minds must be just full of questions because I'm thinking about if I'm sitting in your place and how Brian and I have had all this time to process and do even research and learn these things about each other and have experienced now life with each other for a while. We won't get into all those stories, but those will be part of those things that you hear in the upper room. So we've had all this time and I know you're sitting and wrestling and we hope that when we're talking about the barriers and sort of those things that the concepts that made this concept of koinonia life together be a possibility 
that we're going to address some of those things today as we share with you. Absolutely. So let's begin with that picture again. Let's go back to the Acts 2 church. Um, Acts uh, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold their possessions. They shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And even as I'm reading that again, Giles, I think about this term that the early church that was used for the early believers that was called the way. And isn't that the way a great descriptor of some of these things from Koinonia that were that we were talking about. It was a different way of doing life together. All encompassing. All encompassing. There was no separation. There is no separation. Um, and this and I'm sharing this now because this is one of my biggest pet peeves, but I'm sharing it because I know you all have been there. This is not a pie chart life. This is not the separation of my family is over here. My work is over here. My faith, my relationship with Jesus is over here. My retirement's over here. This is not a pie chart life. This is a whole life. Focusing your eyes on Jesus in community with other people focusing their eyes on Jesus and living the way. So as he said, it was the way, which was a lifestyle a choice, but a choice that had to be lived out in a minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour, day-by-day lifestyle. And even that concept that we were talking about earlier about people that might have confusion about it and whatnot, there are so many things that you experience with the Holy Spirit. And and I even used the wrong word there because I I was going to say that it's experiential. It's experiential. The way is experiential. There were people that were there that were watching them do this from the outside to see if it was real, to see if it bore fruit. And here we're told, the Lord added to their fellowship those, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those were being saved. Every day, the way that they were living had a direct impact and influence on the community around them and People wanted to be a part of it. They were adding numbers, but they took away a couple numbers too. If you guys remember from Scripture, y'all was supposed to sell that field. That's right. And what did you make for it? And there were some lies, and people ended up dead. And so you can see that this is an all-in philosophy. There was no halfway, like I come on the weekend to the way. It was, this is your life. And if you're part of this community with Christ at the center, you're all in. You're not, the koinonia is not a halfway measure. And we saw even in scripture how it defines what happens when people try to do it halfway. They try to keep something off to the side. They try to keep something hidden because here's the thing. Like we were saying earlier about Brian's sharing and generosity. 
wasn't hiding that from me. If there was any hiding going on, you're hiding it from God. Right. And of course, Giles, you know, some of the rest of my story, my root issues, my root issues that I've had to come to grips with are God's presence, his, his daily presence in my life and in everything that I do. Forget that was, that came way before, that came way before the idea of it all belonging to him. He just had to be present first. Then he started working on me. So you, know, you about, say you were totally equipped for this then? Not in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I mean, Josh, you know my story, man. You know my story. Um, you know, there was a day I wanted to be the head coach. I mean, I, I wanted to be that guy whose name was in the paper. I, I wanted to be I wanted to be that guy that could go get a baseball coaching job where he, wherever he wanted to because he'd won a state championship or build a great program. And don't get me wrong, I I was investing in young men. I the the baseball and the winning was just a byproduct of the things that I believed in. And so to come to that to come full circle to where it's no God's that player coach that we talked about last time. He's always present and he's always there, uh, whether I choose to engage him or not, and um, and and those things. No, I this is this is not in my nature. Um, my nature is to be social, uh, to engage with people, and then to go home and enjoy my stuff. So you know, as we faced the questions now that are going to be coming up. Um, we had to look again at Scripture and say, okay, God, we want to pursue. You have invited us into this koinonia, which is there, but it's organic and developing simultaneously. But this really doesn't fit in. Fit into the American model. This does not fit in, right? This is, so you're saying share. Well, I don't want to share. I have to worry about my own. I got to fight for comfort and security, and you're telling, uh, telling me to trust you in those things and give up the worldly temporal method of what those things might look like. And so going to Romans 12, too, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So again, God-led. Like koinonia, God-led. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. Again, God at the center of the story. God's will for you. Not your will, them being blessed by God, but God's will for you. So Romans 12, 2 really is speaking, right? I mean, about this whole thing about what do you do when you face this giant of culture that's staring you in the face and everything that you may have learned and know is suddenly being tested by Scripture? Well, I think... Myself and a number of the people, a number of the the young disciples that we've gone through this with, you go through this moment of, am I crazy? Am I the crazy one? And I think the enemy, you know, that that deceiver and that liar, he would love to get us to think, no, you're the you're the only one, you're the only one, you're all you're on an island, you're all by yourself, nobody ever thinks this way, you're crazy. And if I look to those cultural norms, 
And I, if I took, here's a great example. Go, going back to the example that I gave about, I, I go to the lawnmower because this is one of those, it was one of those pivotal questions that God asked me to. And I, I know I keep going back to it, but I think everybody understands. Everybody understands that. And, and, and here's the thing. I could go to my neighbor and I could say, I could say, hey, Nate, anytime you need my lawnmower, you just come over and get it. The shed is unlocked. It's got gas in it. You don't have to, you don't have to ask. You don't have to, you just come get it. While I was totally comfortable in that, and I understood that, that made my neighbor incredibly uncomfortable. So these cultural norms, they they come off they come off as being extremist or 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 really you know that you've gone off the deep end, but again and again and again we find scriptural evidence that it's actually more of what God desires. And I use this I say this all the time. These days, the more countercultural that it is, the more I pay attention because I think it's probably God and the Holy Spirit moving. And I'm thinking. I know several of you are probably typing in your search right now, upper room and Netflix search about communes because, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, we've all seen those Netflix about people that are on communes and yeah. stuff like that. And and I do want to, believe me, that is some of the questions that go through your head because we don't have positive definitions of it in our culture. It's these scary communes with these radical people doing these crazy things and none of them ever seem very positive. And so you think about well, life together. Well, that seems like that's like whacked out. Like you move into Montana, moving into a commune somewhere there. And so, you know, these are the questions that are going through our head as well. So we're sitting in this place and in every part of my being, I'll just be honest in my sinful nature in every part of my being, I'm like, how can I take a half measure in this? Right. Like those like those individuals in scripture, I'm wanting to hold something back. I'm not wanting to fully invest it because the culture is bearing down so heavily on me. And again, we're talking, I'm talking as someone who lived cross-culturally and still how much of an impact that individualism and that I got to have mine and I need to be secure and I need to have comfort and I need to set it up to protect myself and all of these things, how powerful those things still are. So from what you're saying, and also from the illustration with my, my old neighbor uh, and the lawnmower, receiving is probably a great definition for this cultural norm that is so that's so anti so cross cultural so so anti cultural that generosity the concept of the tithe the concept of giving the concept of taking care of my neighbors most people that you come across they're not going to have a problem with that but when you're talking koinonia there's an element of receiving that is a part of that as well i don't know if i could have said it any better it's both sides of the coin. Coin in the end. No, that's, yeah. that's not where it comes from. Maybe, but, uh, maybe that's going to be the title of this one. Yeah. Both sides of the coin. Both sides of the coin. Um, but it's just not something that is something 
we're used to. So we're facing these different things, right? So we're facing, obviously, the pressure of, and it's not just us here either, okay? I'm just, as, we, as Brian and I sit here and talk, believe me, we'll have to have the women on sometime to talk about their experience through this process because they're still growing in it quite a bit. And we're growing in it as well, but they're at a different place and they're working some of these things out because it is not a natural thing. And, you know, for the hunter-gatherer male, we may be like, well, let's try it, even if I'm a little bit, <laughs> cur- there's a little bit of a nature of curiosity, if you yeah. know. But for, you know, our wives, there's a little bit of the nesting aspect. And now you're telling, hey, two guinea fowl or whatever have to be in the same nest. And what is that going to look like? And how are you going to share life together? And Brian and I have a very close relationship. But our wives, they're friends, but they just never had what we had, what at this point. So so we're talking about we're having this family pressure from based yep. on cultural norms. We're having family pressure based on our own families, like our extended families, uh, such as comments of, oh, you're living in a commune. Yeah, you're doing what? You're doing what, yeah. <laughs> we're having the societal pressure, as in people looking at us and we even have a hard time defining it for them of what we're trying to do because they're immediately putting it in some sort of box, which is not really what it is, or they're comparing it to some experience of, oh, well, my mom came and lived with us for three months kind of experience, which is also, this is not a temporary thing we're talking about. This is a, a, a decision, a life decision. It's a big decision. So we're facing all of these different pressures while at the same time still having our own places, still living in our own domains, desiring to do ministry together, but that struggle of all those cultural things. Brian, did I miss anything? No. No, I think that that's a great picture. And we, we just didn't have healthy good examples to go by and it's not like we're coming out of i take that back i take that back we have some good we do have some good examples to go by and uh one of them would be the college experience the college experience at least that i had that i had where you know i went went to anderson and you're living in the dorm, and 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 for me, it, for me, it wasn't so much the dorm as it was baseball, but it's the same concept. You can't replicate the amount of time that you spend with people on your floor, or in my case, on the baseball team in college, your freshman and sophomore years. You you are taken out of your culture. You're taken out of your culture. Now, college may be its own culture, and you know, and that could be a whole other negative thing. But you're stuck on a floor with a bunch of individuals, and you have to figure out a way to live together. And that actually may be one of the better examples that I have. Save the being, the, save that Christ is your your RA or your resident director that is making all of that happen. Does that make sense? Actually, you know, if you take the koinonia at the outside of biblical definition, it is the, uh, that thing in common. So it could have been the baseball 
Uh, it could have been the floor that you were living on, but you were sharing all these things. But even that in our culture is considered a rite of passage. It is not considered, it is not considered a lifestyle decision. So it's like we have these times where there's these rites of summer camps or uh, colleges. There's these periods of time. But I think we both knew that this wasn't an experiment as in an experiment of let's do this for two years and then go our separate ways. This was much more of a calling to join in to a koinonia, which was God had already been doing a lot of the work and he was inviting us into it. I think so. Your definition is very good. And I think for people to be able to sort of wrap their psychologically, their minds around it, that's a great example. But I think moving it to this next spiritual realm is the spirits like, no, these communities existed and these were generational. This wasn't just for three years you go to Jerusalem and you live in this thing, this commune. And then after that, you leave that kind of commune. It was, no, this is families. This is um, whole households. This is whole communities sharing life together. We have been learning quite a bit about uh, Saint Benedict uh, of the Roman uh, of the Roman Catholic Church, and how his story is actually another uh, an example of this, a positive example of this. That I'll be quite honest with you. I didn't know about. I didn't didn't grow up Catholic. I, I it wouldn't it would not have been a story that I had would have pursued until we've been here, and I and it, we read it through a totally different lens. Tell us what you've learned uh, over these last few months about Saint Benedict. I'll, I'll share a little bit about Saint Benedict because I think it's that monastic experience is a real diamond for like how the monastic experience should have been, but in general. The early monastic experience was built on koinonia. So we see the early church living in koinonia and having koinonia. You know, all of these churches, koinonia was what the church was. Then we move into once the church has been established and stuff like that, the monastic experience is recreating koinonia. So we may look, and especially, you know, from the outside and especially as Protestants, um, there's a nature to look at monasteries as, well, that's just where a bunch of dudes go and they're doing these things there, they're praying and they're doing these things, but they're secluding themselves away from the world, which koinonia is the opposite. So guys, yep. we haven't touched on that right. yet, but this is actually the coolest thing about koinonia is it's outreach based. But the early monasteries actually were all based on reaching the communities around them. They actually would be created. And communities would actually develop around them in which people were sharing all things in common. So it was started by a religious group of individuals, a religious order of people. And this is what St. Benedict did. Uh, And I'll share a little bit about that story. But it started as a religious order. But then a community started to build up around it. And interestingly enough, what ended up destroying them, these early models was because they became so wealthy and so self-sufficient that somebody decided at some point that they needed to 
put insert themselves into the center square of Koinonia instead of allowing Jesus Christ to be there, and they took control, and it became corrupted and became destroyed. So Benedict is coming along. He's moving on to Rome. He's actually going to have a position of power there. The Catholic Church is pretty corrupt at this time. And on his way, he realizes, hmm, no, I need to go into the wilderness. And so he exits out into the wilderness, and he begins a monastic order based on the Koinonia, where it built and it built and it built. And many believe that actually it is the reason that Christianity as we know it today survived through that period of corruption is because he was out there building Koinonia. So it's an exciting historical aspect, but the coolest thing to know is, is that Koinonia, what we learned even through that, is that Koinonia is not inward-facing right? just for us. It's outward-facing to the world. So even though we're doing these things in common, all looking to Christ, through Christ, we're able to have eyes to see ears to hear and see what the needs of the world are, what the needs of our neighbor are, and invite them into Koinonia. And Benedict was walking along the road, and while he may have... He got distracted by caring for... He got distracted by caring for those people along the way Mm -hmm. that he stopped. And I say distracted in a very... I mean, I don't mean distracted, but, uh, you know, our God is a God of disruptions, Yes, and God disrupted his path, disrupted his journey to Rome, kind of like this guy Paul that we know. And all along the way, he was establishing and planting the churches and the way, this this way of doing life together, uh, everywhere he went. So I'm sitting in a place now, and Brian and I are sitting in a place now with Koinonia, that I think that even we're sort of starting to be able to face up against the cultural norms and make decisions. But the question comes, well, St. Benedict did this and read it in Acts. Seems to be the thing going on. We now have found the term koinonia. Why have I never heard this in church? Why have I never heard koinonia in church? And what I begin to realize is, is because it doesn't fit into our cultural norm. It's a message that maybe is a bit too challenging for people. So I know we have all heard the message over Acts 2. And one of the common themes I always hear is, that was a way to do church. That's right. But we do church differently. But I'm looking at it. Okay, well, let's see. What do they say? Where's the problem with how we do church? Well, okay, the Lord's Supper. Okay, that's good. We we do communion. So we say, yeah. okay, like the Acts Church, I do communion. A deep sense of awe and worship. Okay, yeah, we we worship. Uh, we go and sing some songs and we worship God there, right? All the believers met together in one place. Yeah, that's really, I would define a church as that. We're meeting together. Prayer, certainly. We're praying, teaching, fellowship. All of these things, yeah. I don't see where, why in a sermon that we're not saying that we're living by the next church. All those things seem to be lining up very well with how we do church. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What did we just run into here, Brian? What, 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 did, what did they do? They met together in that one place, and what did they start doing? They shared, right? Yeah, they shared. 
They shared everything they had. They sold their possessions and shared the money with those in need. This, I think, is where in our individualistic culture, this has flown into our churches. This concept of, well, you know, God gets like this 10%, but, you know, you need to put 10% in your savings. And 80% is what? 80 percent is yours 80 percent is yours and i was i was heading down this path you know as you were talking i was heading down this very path of how do you how do you share a message how do you share a message with people that none of it belongs to them which is absolute truth and the and really what it boils down to is is am I modeling do I do I see that or is there a contradiction between the way that we operate my life the way the, is there a contradiction between my life and my actions and then these words and this concept of the tithe is something that's really nice to make people warm, cozy, and comfortable, and still accomplish your goals, but at the crux of it, you know, it's really, it's really something that Jesus didn't teach about. In fact, the only time that Jesus talked about the tithe was when he was condemning the Pharisees for counting out their, their mint and their, and their time, and, and into the, you know, to the, to the little mustard seed of what was they owed on their tithe, and that he really is interested in your heart, in the heart of the giver, in the in the lady that, in the in the in the woman that gave everything, that gave that the, one little coin, the but one was, coin, and her generosity, right? So, God is desiring a generous heart. A generous heart is an all giving heart. So none of it is none of it is ours, and that's a realization we had to come to. None of this was ours. So, here's the thing. If I sat in a situation and it ended up being that at Brian's house, we were moving into Brian's house. If the mindset had changed to none of this is ours, the action is totally appropriate for koinonia. Right? I mean, right. when we start to find... So there's a motivational aspect yep. here. So action steps may look the same, but the motivation is different. But there's also a love part of it too that... That yes, I could have been in that place, but loving someone else well enough to know that they would be uncomfortable is a part of it as well. That no, I have to give it up. Which you know me, you know me. I, I wasn't attached to that. No, I wasn't attached to that house. I wasn't attached no. to that neighborhood. It, that wasn't it at all. But it was the attitude of giving it up. And why don't you share a little bit of a dream of an illustration you had? Because I think it explains koinonia so, I mean, this explains koinonia so well. And I think Brian, as he looks at it, he's even sitting here rubbing his head because I think he's realizing how much it explains koinonia. You know, um, I grew up with this, I grew up with a household, Giles, you had a big family as well. I had a big family, um, educators, um, salary that they were supporting four kids. And I grew up with this concept of, Boy, don't you know money doesn't grow on trees? And and um, I joke about it, and and I and I hope mom and dad, if you're listening, I hope you can joke about it as well because I actually say it very endearingly because 
I actually have come quite a long way in in that concept and that and I think that for the longest time I was I was I wasn't hoarding but when I think when you think cultural norms I was doing I was doing the cultural norms we've got a Roth IRA I've got a 401k I've got a pension um which you know God hasn't told me to get rid of those things by any means but my heart posture and my attitude towards them has changed but I but I grew up with this money doesn't grow on trees and be prepared for a rainy day and these these kind of worldly wisdom things and throughout this process um God really took me to a place and and I can't I don't remember whether I was sleeping. I don't remember whether it was in my prayer time. It was really more of just a an experience that I recall. And God was sitting across, and it, and it and it wasn't it wasn't my friend Jesus. It was clearly God the Father, and He was sitting across this giant mahogany or cherry desk, banker's desk, and He He was sitting across from me, and I was the I was there, you know, sitting in the small chair in front of it, facing him, clearly there to take out a loan or to ask for money from the bank or whatever it might be. And he reached into his desk and he got out his checkbook and he got out this this golden pen and he looked at me and he said, "What's the number?" And I I didn't even know how to answer. And I, you know, what what do you mean what's the number? And he said, what number is it going to take for you to start walking in your identity? You know, and he, he may have said it in a, in a different way and that's my translation, but what's it going to take? What amount of money can I give you right now? That's going to cause you to do what I'm asking you to do to take that step forward. And it undid me, Giles. I mean, it compl- I was completely undone because I knew what he was saying. I knew that he was telling me, Brian, I own everything. It's mine. The checkbook, the storehouses, they're mine. They're not yours. And you and you're not being a good steward of them. Yeah, you're you're being smart and you're being wise and you're being prudent. But you're not being a good student a steward of them. And and here's the thing too, Giles, like it wasn't just money at that point. It was my gifts, my talents, my, my marriage, my, it was, it was all of it. And it, and it was basically this question, all of these things that you're pursuing belong to me already. I'm a good King. I've already given them to you. Why are you trying to hold on to them? They're not for you. And it just undid me. Well, it's almost like, why are you here? Right. We've already had this. We've already taken care of this business deal. We've already taken care of this deal. And I just think that now, I'm because you told you had told me that story, but now you know as we've been talking about Cornelia, how powerful and awesome an illustration that is for people to see about this. Everything belongs to God. But you know, I'd heard some sermons, so <laughs> in my own selfish desire, still I was like, "Well, Lord, you have called us into this community and this life together." This. Well, koinonia uh, concept, but, you know, I've heard messages that say there's other ways to do life together. So I need to investigate scripture and to see where, see if I can find this to be true in scripture. And 
Imagine this. No, it's not. There's not. No. There's not. First of all, there's not. And second of all, it's a lie if you were told that church should be done in any other way. And here's why. Let's go to some scriptures that talk about how was the church formed and who was the church formed by. So we go to Matthew 16, 18. And it says this, Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of powers of hell will not conquer it. So Jesus is talking about church. He says the word church, and he's bringing up Peter, and says, Peter, on you, on this rock, on your belief, on your structure, church will be created. So then we move to John 21, 15, right? So this is after Jesus' resurrection. He comes, and he's sitting with Peter by the fire. And he goes, hey, Simon, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. And he said, then feed my lambs. And then through three times, he says, take care of my sheep and feed my sheep. So again, instructions on the church. We flash into Acts. Where's the foundation for the Acts church based on? Who, who was the, Brian, who's the apostle that, basically set up the church of acts it's peter it's peter and 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 i I, i'm even going to take some liberty here just to illustrate where it says upon this rock upon this way the way Way. that we were talking about this way this way of living this way of living that i'm showing you this is the this is the rock this is the foundation that that koinonia and that the church is to be built upon And so, at this point, Brian and I find us in a place. How dare us have the audacity to speak about the things that God desires and the community that God desires? How dare us put those things into question with bad theology we've heard or individualistic attitudes when God has showed us through his word what community looks like, what life together looks like, and at that point, what choice do we have when, it's, when Jesus says these words? If you love me, you will obey my commands. And how are these not commands? How are these not things of meant to be the way? How can we sit and say, God, we're going to honor you. We're going to serve you. But we're going to do it within all the norms of what we want, not about what you want. And really, at that point, this idea of koinonia became so real that we had to start saying, okay, God, now that we know, what are we going to do about it? Well, and so as we wrap this up and as we leave you, our listeners, with a challenge, again, where where did we start? We said, hey, look, if Jesus isn't number one, and you're not pursuing that relationship first. Delving into these other things are going to be a real uphill battle because um, because we are we're attempting to do that, and we're when we're really trying to live together in iron sharpens iron, and to make sure that we're living out in the open and exposed um, before our brothers and. So, and we also, and I also want to leave with this, that, that, yeah, we've said some harsh things possibly about church and, and, and 
And while they may be true, we would both say that that place and that institution has played a critical role in our lives in getting us here to this point. So as you ponder on these ideas of what koinonia is and does my life exhibit, do I have this in my life? Do I desire this in my life? You know, being connected to the vine, number one, being connected to a a group of believers that you can work this out with and discuss this with, critical. And I would encourage everybody to continue to do that. It has not been our path uh, these last few years, but it did play a significant role in our lives as well. And Brian's exactly right, because I do want to also say that about church. But the caveat always is this. Read Scripture. Trust the Holy Spirit, and the, the Spirit will talk to you through Scripture, because how would you even know if you're sitting in a place every week and you're hearing things from the pulpit, and there are so many great churches and life-giving churches, and we have a favorite church of ours yep. um, with biblically-based messages speaking about these things that even live out so many of these aspects of koinonia. But you have to know the Word, people, because you cannot rely on anybody but the Holy Spirit to truly tell you what it means, right? Jesus says, I speak in parables to those that don't understand and to those that do, I speak more clearly. That's what happens when you go into the Word. You begin to hear more clearly. The parables you may have heard at church, which may have been couched in things such as life applications or live life this way, you need to see where that foundation is in Scripture. You need to hold up things against Scripture. So Brian is absolutely right. You know, you may... Through this podcast, you may sometimes hear things that sound critical, but what we're really being critical, guys, of is the fact of you got to be in the Word. You have to be in the Word because if you don't have that foundation, and honestly, we didn't reach where we Mm -mm. are today until we really began to let that Word become alive in our hearts because this isn't knowledge that we suddenly gain from some book or gain from some well, how would we gain this from experience when it's not really shown in our culture? This was from God. But it was only because we had been spending so much time getting to know Jesus through the Word. And so that's my encouragement. Go. Go to your go to go to places of worship. Go share fellowship with people. But be in the Word and be regularly in the Word so that you truly know what God is saying. And be encouraged that he loves you and he wants to speak with you and one of the greatest things one of the greatest lessons of Jesus is he doesn't he isn't ever satisfied with where you are today he's got eternity in mind and he's always trying to grow us into something different so if something that we've said has challenged you we're encouraged because challenging means and if you take that and you sit with Jesus with it that you will become a different person you know, when you learn to walk with him in that and learn through his grace what that means as you become transformed and conformed into his image and uh, more of that comes out in you. So, Brian, is this the last conversation we're having on Koinonia or are we continuing this conversation next week? You know, I, I think for sure it's time to transition into... What happened? What happened? Because we've gotten to this point of we've definitely identified 
the the angst and this thing that was this these questions that were stirring up inside of us we've evaluated and discussed all these barriers that we were coming up against and a plan started to come together so i can't wait to share with everybody what the plan was i'm looking forward to it all right thanks bud Thank you.